0: True Hello and welcome to Factually. I'm Adam Conover. Thank you so much for joining me, everybody. If you're listening, I really love having you here. We've loved having you here all year long. This is our last episode for 2021. I hope that if you're in a country that celebrates a holiday, that has some time off of work around this time of the season, hope you're relaxing, hope you're playing some good video games, doing some crossword puzzles, hope you're getting vaccinated and boosted, if you can, in order to keep you and your loved ones safe. Um, and, uh, I hope you had a wonderful 2021 and I hope you have an even better 2022. We, this week are rerunning one of my very favorite episodes from the past so that I can take some time off as well. I also need to relax a little bit. At least that's what my therapist keeps telling me. Uh, this week we are rebroadcasting for you. One of my very favorite episodes. It's my interview with entomologist Akito Kawahara from 2020. This interview was so much fun. His Energy and passion and knowledge about insects is so infectious, I left this interview a buzz <laughs> for, for the uh, for alive to the possibilities of the insect world around me. And, and it gave me a new appreciation for a part of life that I had always uh, not really considered, not really taken into account. And hopefully it'll do the same for you. I, I don't think you could leave this interview without having at least a little bit of his passion for creepy crawlies. It's such a wonderful interview and I know you're gonna love it. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Akito Kawahara from 2020. Uh, Akito, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here, thank you.
0: So I talked a little bit in the intro about the decline in insect numbers that we've seen, uh, but put it in your terms for me, like what is the starkest way it looks to you?
1: It looks pretty bad. Um, There's been a lot of studies that have come out recently that are showing that insects are declining in large numbers uh, globally. So most of the studies have been done um, in Europe, but there've been more studies now uh, across the world. Um, And in, in terms of the starkest numbers, I'd say, a study recently suggested that 40% of um, all the species of insects might decline or disappear or go extinct, uh, in other words, in the next uh, few decades.
0: 40% of insect species might go extinct. And is that just the ones we know or is that even species we have not yet
1: identified yet? So that's uh, based on the ones we we know.
0: Got it. And, and, but my understanding is, uh, you know, I spoke with, uh, Emma Maris, uh, who's a science and environmental writer, uh, a few months back, and she pointed out the difference to me. Uh, between extinction which is how we often think about the decline in you know animal numbers that species are going extinct they'll never come back obviously extinction is a big problem but there's also this related issue of uh, abundance decline um that mm-hmm. you might have a large we might lose a large number of animals even if the species is still hanging around uh maybe there's a lot less of that species um and i know i saw just a few Months ago, there was a story that, you know, North America has lost like a third of its birds since, yeah. uh, you mm-hmm. know, if you look around North America, uh-huh. you'll see one third less birds. Maybe not, you know, that's apart from extinctions. You'll just see less storks, less wrens, all those things. is the same thing happening with insects? We
1: think so, yes. Uh, so the, the studies that have looked at this, I mean, the, the, one of the uh, issues here is that we we don't have a lot of data still because they are insects and We just don't know what's actually happening um, to to the extent that we want to know. But from the the, the studies that have been um, uh, published, we see lots of numbers uh, in abundance and also uh, declines in um, in the species themselves so a good example of abundance is uh for example there's a um, a butterfly called the regal fritillary it's a it's a butterfly that's found um it used to be found throughout north america more or less but it was restricted to these habitats these um, tall grass prairies um which have declined 99 uh, percent or so um and now these butterflies have no nowhere to go because the habitats themselves have declined so drastically. Mm. And, um, so, so they don't, you know, these numbers are declining in abundance and, and we've been doing, you know, lots of people have been doing, uh, mark recapture studies and kind of checking the abundance of them. And we, we know that there's very few of them now because the populations have been drastically reduced and the, 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 the habitats are, are, uh, fragmented significantly.
0: And are we seeing like an overall decline in insects, period? Uh, Like, is it that
1: wide? Uh, We we think so. We think, I mean, it's happening in in all kinds of different insects uh, groups. So uh, the first studies, you know, there was a big study that came out uh, a couple of years ago that looked at insect um, declines uh, in Germany, where they looked at, uh, did a survey of um, insects over 27 years. And they showed that 20, about 75% um, of insect biomass, that's the weight or the the mass of the insects that are collected, um, has, uh, disappeared, um, uh, by about 75% in, in that 27 years or so. And, and these are malaise traps. So these are, you know, um, people, entomologists, you know, insect enthusiasts going out and setting up these, uh, flight intercept traps. So it's basically a trap in which an insect flies into it, it's, a, it's a kind of like a screen and the bugs crawl up and they go into a little jar and they keep them up for about a week or two. And then they, they measured this over the years and they were able to show that uh, significant numbers, uh, the, the weight or the mass of the insects has, has gone uh, down significantly.
0: So these are folks just trying to measure, hey, how many insects or how many pounds of insect? (laughs) That's how when you you do biomass, you're like, how many pounds of insect are we getting? And just taking a broad swath. And they're just like, that number is going precipitously down.
1: That's right. And it's happening uh, more, you know, across different insect groups now. So there's lots of different studies that are coming out. You know, last week, there was another one on caddisflies. So these are aquatic insects that live in streams and the 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 larvae live in the streams and they're really important uh, sources of food for fish and things like that, uh, that live in the water, Um, but their numbers are declining too. So it's not just bumblebees and honeybees and butterflies, it's beetles, it's happening with dragonflies, it's happening with all kinds of insects.
0: And so for the person listening saying, Okay, look, I know about bees, and, you know, there's been a lot of study about colony collapse, and, you know, I've heard about that, and and bees are cute, and, you know, I understand they help my food supply, sure, but why should I care about beetles? Like, what is the impact for us, why should we care about insects? I mean, you, obviously you care about insects, you're an entomologist, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would say, you know, um, so there was a study that was uh, that published a, a while ago that that looked at um, the impact of insects and how many, you know, uh, what's the impact on the economy in the United States. So that study was published, you know, over 10 years ago now, but if we correlate it to modern times or, or this year, uh, it would be something like $70 billion annually is the impact mm. of all insects that you know as together as a group we're um, making 70 billion off these insects that, <laughs> yeah something wow. like that and, and it's really like so so we talk about pollination which is very important right um, so pollination you know i think people don't realize if you go to the grocery store and you look at you know all these uh, different kinds of fruits and vegetables and so forth you know things like peaches potatoes onions peppers oranges cabbage tomatoes grapes watermelons i mean all this stuff is is pollinated by insects mm. so if you lose your insects there's a big problem and it's not just the honeybee there's lots of other insects that are pollinators that uh, are important and, and in addition to that there's also you know insects serve um a really important role which is to to to, to act as physical decomposers so the decomposing um and, and making the soils more more rich. So you know, animals that die, uh, insects are there to take care of them and, and let them um, go back into the to, to the soil. That they're, they're prey for birds. Uh, something like ninety six percent of songbirds um, rely on insects for their young. Mm. Uh, freshwater fishes require insects for their food. Um, and also, um, grizzly bears. Many people think of grizzly bears as being you know these these big uh, animals that feed on. Uh, fish, you know, and salmon. But in reality, they, they rely uh, more heavily on insects and, and with berries and so forth. So uh, those are the kinds of things that we need to be, you know, thinking about in terms of insects. And, and of course, they're also important in terms of progress, like scientific progress, right? So, uh, you know, drones are are being designed using, you know, looking at how flies fly, for example. Mm, yeah. uh, and we do a lot of genetic research using, um, you know, flies and and other kinds of insects. Uh, uh, silk is another example that, you know, it's a huge industry and in, especially in Asia, uh, it, it's dependent on, on a particular moth. Um, these are the kinds of on things, silkworms, that,
0: right. Am I right about this that?
1: Silkworms, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a domesticated silkworm. It's actually domesticated. Uh, the, 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 moth can't fly
0: anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I, I, I heard about this. Uh, I'm sorry. Can we, can we do a little tangent? Cause I read, sure. I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole about this once. I want to make sure I got this right. Cause I'm remembering and it's like blowing my mind all over again that yeah. we make silk, using domesticated silkworms which are like a domesticated insect and we've domesticated it so thoroughly like it can't like breed by itself in the wild right like they can't be let go and and continue to do their thing like they now require like humans to tend them because we've had such a long relationship with them as a species
1: am i right about that That, that's correct thousands of years that's right they can't they, they, they they can't really do anything they require us to feed give them food
0: that is so fucking cool. <laughs> I don't know what, what I mean, like you expect, okay, dogs, horses, whatever, but like I didn't know that, yeah, we've had this thousand-year-long relationship with uh with domesticated worms, silkworms, yeah. Moths. Yeah. moths. Um yeah. and is that are are we still using like how important are are they to if I have a piece of silk, is it is it coming out of worm's butt? <laughs>
1: Is that why yeah, they, have, have, it, well, they have a, it's coming out of their mouth parts, actually. Oh, okay. So, so they, <laughs> it's okay. okay. They have a, they have silk glands and they produce silk, um, which is, which is also a surprising. A very interesting area of research is, is silk, right? We, we, you know, a lot of um, uh, products that, that are important for, you know, like um, uh, bulletproof vests and things, these are designed from things like spider silk because they're elastic, but they're very, very strong. It's one of the strongest um, compounds yeah. on, on the planet. And uh, we rely on them and we don't, we, you know, a lot of the research so far has been, you know, on a few species of spiders or uh, the silkworm um, moth, but there's hundreds of thousands of other insects that produce silk. So if you think about it, the diversity of an opportunity that we have here is, is astonishing. And, and we're just like, just beginning um, to, to, to find out what's out there.
0: Now you have such a passion for, for insects. How did that develop for
1: you? Like, where does that come from? yeah it it actually comes from um when when I was a child uh, growing up in japan um so mm. i'm japanese and in japan you know there's uh it's a culture where you um you can go to the uh like department store and they, they sell beetles in you know these cages as pets mm. uh, and and you know you go to the park for example and you just in the summer you always see kids like running around with butterfly nets and looking at nature and and that that um, environment is pretty unique i think and um it's it's where I grew up and it was actually my father who got me into it um, when I was really young. And we used to spend, you know, every weekend we'd go somewhere to look for, for butterflies and insects. And I started a little insect collection and it just all started from there. And and I've always loved insects since then.
0: That's really wonderful because, and I've, I feel like I've, uh, you know, in my experience with uh, I've, you know, certain pieces of Japanese culture, I've seen that that like bug catching is much more of a hobby um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, much more of an interest. And that's such a wonderful thing to like, take a closer look at the environment and to, you know, cause bugs are everywhere. We have bugs in the United States, but nobody was encouraging me, Hey, like bugs are really cool. Like go, you you know, uh, categorize them, catch them, like learn about them. You know, we have dinosaurs, uh, you know, et cetera. Uh, but (laughs) that didn't have that relationship with bugs. And that's such a wonderful thing because yeah, I mean, bugs are, Bugs are fascinating. I mean, I just I just nerded out with you about silkworms. for like, I got really excited about it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Bugs. I mean, they are really great. You can you don't really need that much to to study bugs. You just need a little, you know, pot of you know just a, a, a you know flower pot outside of your window, and there'll be insects. You know, and you know I think it's a great opportunity to look at the small things that are around us, and um, it's a for me it's kind of an opportunity to to, to kind of meditate too and think about you know the world and and this amazing world that's out there in terms of nature and um and the opportunity for you know people to go outside um i think right now we have an opportunity to go outside and look at organisms and animals and nature and wildlife more um and i think we should take that advantage too
0: so how do you feel as as someone who just you know studies insects loves loves insects right i mean what is this Sort of large decline feel like for you i mean is this is this a horrifying prospect yeah
1: it's shocking it's really surprising um, so you know I, you know as I mentioned i you know I'm Japanese and I go back to japan every pretty much every year and you know where i when I was a child, I used to see certain insects really abundant everywhere, and now you know you go back and you can't find them and so you you mm. talk to some of the local like you know entomologists and they don't know what happened either. And these are things that were, you know, you just see hundreds of them everywhere and you can't find them anymore. And we don't really know exactly what the reason for that is, but it is very alarming. And I think having that kind of perception to see, uh, you know, insects and watch them, you, you begin to really see these kinds of trends. And, and you need to, I think it's important for um, people to, to, you know, try to see that. And, and it's, it's something that's unique, I think.
0: But it it's have you had trouble getting attention for this issue? I mean, I, I again, I saw this study about a third of bird species decline. Right. Yeah. And and I saw that, that uh, headline and I was like, this is this is apocalyptic. Like this is not oh, there's a warning light flashing. This is like the world that we live in is changing before our eyes in a way that was, you know, I grew up in the 90s when, you know, we had so much media about the environmental apocalypse. And you see like the the. The the fast, you know, the flash forward to like what the future could look like if we don't protect nature, you know, and seeing my God, a third of bird species is not species. A third of birds are gone. um, Feels like that. That's like, OK, we're a a third of the way to having no birds, right? We should all be panicked about that. This should be the biggest news story in the country. And yet, you know, it was on the front page of the Times for one day and that was about it. I can only imagine that with insects, it's even tougher to get attention. Yet this, you've convinced me this issue is massive.
1: It's massive. It's really massive. And we're just, like I said, at the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we don't really know what's happening in the tropics. You know, we know that there's lots of insects there and huge biodiversity there, but- are they declining? Yeah, we think they are. Um, And we have, we see some trends that, you know, so some data, but the data are so limited. So we really need more people, uh, just documenting. I mean, people, you know, we could just go outside and take pictures uh, of insects and that would be very helpful. There are sources like iNaturalist where you can upload your photo. To I location. use iNaturalist.
0: That's a wonderful, wonderful app. You go take a picture. If you're on a walk in the woods, you're on a hike or you are been in your city, you see an interesting plant or bug or bird, you take a picture of it with the app. And it's actually shockingly good at figuring out what species it is just from the picture, and then you upload it, and you're a little citizen scientist, and it says, I saw a, uh, I don't know, a wren or or a palm tree or whatever, and it goes into a database of, like, where these
1: species are. Exactly. That's it's it's really great, and and a lot of scientists are using these data now too. Mm. So you you are you know as a as an individual you can contribute directly to these scientific um, studies that that require you know that we need these data that that you know about uh, the organisms around us. So you know I think that's a great way to contribute.
0: So what are the uh, causes of this—I'm sure there's many. You talked about uh, habitat destruction for this one particular species earlier, but when we're looking at such a wide-scale decline, it—it it seems it like it must be something larger. Is climate change playing a role? What is it?
1: Yeah. So I mentioned habitat declines, um, of course, and there's uh, also another very important um, aspect is uh, agriculture. So because human population growth is. You know, pe- you know, there's more people on the planet now than ever before. Um, we require more food. And because we require more food, we need more land to to create the agriculture, the, the crops that we need. So that uh, is contributing to, of course, habitat declines, but also to increased pesticide use and herbicide use. Mm. And so these toxins that are used to control pests are uh, are very strong. You know, there, there are lots of very powerful um, chemicals that are being used, and they end up going into the the, the water systems, and they get blown around to the nearby fields and so forth. And um, more and more studies are now showing that this the the use of toxins and, and pesticides are especially problematic. So that's one thing. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned climate change uh and i think so there there have been some uh, studies now that are showing that climate change definitely is is uh, important uh, factor um of course with climate change it changes weather patterns uh the temperature is you know going up uh we can have greater water stress and things like this um and when you think about uh you know, insects, many of them are very restricted to particular habitats, right? So like, for example, on the tops of the mountain tops of the the mountains in Hawaii, on these volcanoes, there are some insects that only live there in the whole world. Um, As temperature rises and the climate changes, um, those icebergs, uh, those ice shields and things can um, uh, disappear and those Mm. insects lose their habitat. Um, and it's not just in Hawaii, it's all over the world. Uh, but these habitats that are very fragmented um, that can um, become influenced by the impacts of climate change, like weather patterns and uh, you know changes like drought and things like that, uh, we think will have a huge impact on on insects. So it's not really just one factor, but multiple factors uh, caused by climate change we think will uh, lead to many of these problems that we we see. What about like
0: artificial light, right? Like when I walk around oh, my yeah. city, there's there's so much light. I remember reading a a study years ago about how like pure darkness is like now endangered itself in the United totally. States. So you got to go out in the middle of Montana or something to get a perfect level of dark. There's a problem for astronomers because, you know, you go with a telescope, you can't see certain stars because there's so much you know, uh, uh, artificial light around. And Hey, when I see a, a light and there's bugs bumping into it, I'm like, hold on a second. This is, uh, messing with this bug's habitat in some way. Uh, I don't think this bug would in nature be bumping into a light over and over again. So yeah, how does that play a role?
1: Yeah, definitely. Light, light is a big problem. There, there, are, um, lots of, and, and so some countries are now, um, changing their lights, street lights, to uh, shift the wavelength because, uh, we know that, Uh, uv light um the the spectrum you know goes from uv to infrared and um uv light has a big impact on insects it attracts insects because they're uh photo positively phototoxic meaning they're attracted to to light sources and so if you leave your light on on your porch if you're using a big strong like uv light or something like that all these bugs will come to it and what happens is a lot of the bugs um they they'll fly around the light and uh they get exhausted uh and a lot of times they'll just sit there till the morning and the birds come and they all eat them or they just die of exhaustion. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, we, we actually think that they, they, a lot of them become blinded by the sheer, kind of strength of the light and blinded they can't go anywhere. Yeah. Blinded, literally blinded by the light. <laughs> um, and, uh, so lights are, are a big problem and it's something that we know is, is a factor, but there's been surprisingly few studies still on, on, um, impact of anthropogenic light on insects, but we know that insects are attracted to them. And the the thing to do about this is really to, to turn your lights off. It's pretty simple. Use a different wavelength light or just turn your lights off if you can. We, you know, you look at cities and lots of storefronts and things, lots of excessive use of uh, light and and electricity um, that is not necessary.
0: But let me, uh, let me get a little pessimistic, if you don't mind, when (laughs) I think about issues like that, right? um, Man, light is just a thing that humans just want so much of, you know, and with you know led lights the switch from incandescent lights to led lights you know lighting got so much cheaper and the result is people put so many more lights out uh and you know the the, the amount of light the amount of actual photons we're emitting has gone up and up and up and the thing is uh, it makes people feel safer. You know, it makes, uh, I remember I'm just thinking about, Hey, at my college campus, uh, there was a movement to add more lights because people felt that, you know, the area, it was unsafe to walk around in the dark, uh, on this. And that was in the middle of upstate New York. You know, you can only think about, you know, in a city or, or other places where, Hey, that alley's, you know, dangerous. Okay. Let's put a light up. Right. So mm-hmm. that people can, people can see. Uh, it seems like a hard, ask to ask humanity, hey, for the sake of the insects, let's have 25% less light. Let's have 30%. Let's have 50% less light. Um, and so that to me is one of those things where it, it starts to feel like just humanity is coming into conflict with insects and we're not going to be able to, I'm not, I'm not trying to be that pessimistic and say we can't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, Hey, light is part of human life, you know?
1: And if light is bad for insects, that means humans are bad for insects in a broader way. Yeah. I mean, I think we should think of it in terms of not just insects too, right? I mean, it's, it's the insects that are serving as prey, like food sources for all these other organisms that are around us. And yeah. um, if, if we start to really lose all these insects, you know, something like 40% of all the species, you know, that is going to have an incredible uh, impact on all of wildlife. Uh, we, we just don't really think of insects. You know, they, they are this invisible force that's out there that we just don't really think about, but, but they're really, really fundamentally important. And I think I would argue that, you know, we, we really can't let that happen. And, and there are solutions. We can shift the wavelengths of light. So they are further away from the UV spectrum. And if we do that, we can create, we still can have lights that, that are, you know, lighting up areas that just don't attract insects. Got it. Better lights. Better lights. Yes. More efficient, (laughs) better lights. That's right.
0: Well, let's talk some more about those solutions right after we get back. We'll be right back with more Akito Kawahara. Okay. We're back with Akito Kawahara. Um, Akito, so I want to ask, just because one of the ones that people have heard about the most is the decline in bees. Uh That's that's gotten a lot of press. And, you know, you've even seen I saw a Kickstarter for a for a rooftop uh apiary I could put on my house to keep bees in. And it was part of the pitch was help support the bee population. You've heard so much about it and you can help out. And uh uh, let me tell you, uh, my girlfriend was not excited about the idea, so we didn't get it. She was not excited about the idea of keeping bees on the roof, but, uh, wh- do we know, cause for, I know for a long time, these bee disappearances were a mystery. Um, do we have, uh, an idea now of why bees have declined so much?
1: Well, uh, y- uh so yes, uh, to some degree. So, um, in the you know we we talked a little bit about um, colony collapse um, disorder before but for honeybees so that's one of the kind of the big factors that have taken that's taken place um, recently um so so with colony collapse disorder that's um you know a situation where a lot of the a huge number of the the colony uh, it leaves the the hive and goes somewhere else and um, essentially abandons the queen and maybe a few others uh, in that spit, in that hive and so that the, in that situation, um, all the workers go away. So we don't have any workers left in the, uh, in the hive anymore. And, um, so this is, you know, been shown to, to, to have some significant impact on, uh, declines of honeybees. Um, and something like, you know, 10 million beehives were lost, uh, up to, um, uh, 2013 for about six years, uh, in that wow. six year period. Uh, and we, you know, the, there's evidence that suggests that it's probably pesticides um, uh, pathogens uh, potentially being transmitted by things like varroa mites uh, possibly habitat loss uh, and, and things like that but pesticides seem to be one of the big uh, impacts on um, uh, colony collapse uh, and also bumblebees i mean we we you know we, we think of bees as being oftentimes honeybees but the bumblebees are very important in terms of pollinators as well, and mm. um, there's many species of bumblebees, and uh, and they, uh, you know, they're declining pretty rapidly too. Um, there's been some really neat studies that are using uh, museum specimen de- data. So these, you know, like American Museum of Natural History, Smithsonian Institution, uh, the Inst- uh, the Florida Museum here, we have uh, historical records of all of these insects that have been collected. Uh, for hundreds of years, you know, dating back to the 1700s and things like that, and we can um, use that data to to really understand how um, these bees and other insects are are disappearing. And um, when you start to plot and and make those maps, uh, and you look at where they were in the past and what's actually happening, you can make you can model this and figure out how many, you know, approximately how much of it has actually disappeared. So yes, globally, bees are dis- dis- declining, both honeybees. Um, uh, and bumblebees, but bumblebees are are very important because uh, also very important because they uh, there's a lot of species that are potentially at risk right now.
0: Now, why do you think that bees have gotten so much press in this issue? Right, we've heard ask the person on the street they've heard that bees are declining. They haven't heard about any other species you mentioned. Why is that, and how does that reflect our maybe cultural misunderstandings of insects?
1: Well, I think a lot of people think, when they think of bees, they think of honeybees uh, the, and they think of, you know, uh, pollination, um, in, in your yard. Um, and you know, you go outside and you see some flowers and you see flowers being pollinated by, by these insects, but we, we should really, you know, think about the other insects that are there that are also pollinating flies are really important pollinators. Mosquitoes. Now we think are pollinators. this really? is something, yeah. So, uh, a colleague of mine, um, is who's here in Florida. He was um, recently looking at a mango tree, and he was telling me that you know these these mango trees are, are being. He thinks they're pollinated by mosquitoes because you go there at night, and these flowers are just covered in mosquitoes. So we think of mosquitoes as these horrible insects that come and bite you, but you know they're only a small fraction of, of mosquitoes that actually vector disease uh, and harm human beings. There's a ton of other things that are happening, and mosquitoes. Uh, are very important to the environment and possibly helping us pollinate as well.
0: Okay, so hold on a second, because because I I might have a we might be able to do a correction of my work here because we did on an episode of Adam Ruins Everything a couple of years ago. We did uh, an episode on little bugs. It was was the name of the episode. Adam Ruins Little Bugs, and we did a little mini segment in that based on. Uh, some research and argument that we had seen that we could wipe out mosquitoes in order to prevent mosquito-borne diseases, right? That we could use uh, various techniques to conduct a uh, mosquito genocide um, and that that would be fine because the mosquitoes played almost no other environmental role or any benefit to us. Um, and, you know, the, the diseases that they cause are like extremely debilitating, right? That, you know, malaria is one of the, you know, worst uh, global diseases around, um, and so I just want to know, were we wrong about that in your view?
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, at the time, you know, you know, we, we know that some mosquitoes can be problematic and, and we, we, you know, there were some diseases like Zika and things like that, that were also uh, a couple of years yeah. ago, pretty, pretty serious, uh, here in the U S and globally. Um, so there is concern of course, for those kinds of mosquitoes, but you know there's three thousand or more species of mosquitoes on the planet, and uh most of them are not harmful to human beings um, mm. they're mosquitoes that feed on just like leeches and and other organisms that are not you know vertebrates and so I think um you know we just need to think of that you know we're not just talking about one species of mosquito, but there's a lots of insects out there that are doing important things and just because it's a mosquito, it's not necessarily uh, uh you know a bad uh, animal or insect.
0: Can I just say how much you're that answer like moved me. <laughs> like, did it? <laughs> like, yeah. Just like your, again, just your passion for these things and how much you care about, how much you care about mosquitoes and how much you made me care about mosquitoes in that answer that like, yeah, just because it's a mosquito doesn't mean it's bad. I'm like,
1: yeah, no, I have been too judgmental of mosquitoes. <laughs> so, so Adam, did you, did you know this? I have to tell you, can I just say something? This is really uh, pretty, pretty interesting. There's actually some mosquitoes that we think uh, feed on other mosquitoes too. They actually wow. control uh, the, the mosquitoes. So there are these big mosquitoes that, you know, um, that you can find in, in ponds and streams and stuff like that, but they feed on, you know, they're specialist on little mosquitoes. So they're wow. actually a biocontrol agent for mosquitoes. I mean, wow. like, you know, it's, it's amazing that, that yeah. what's happening. Um, so we we shouldn't just, I I guess my point is that we don't, we shouldn't be just sort of discarding mosquitoes as these horrible things and, you know, use back bug bug zappers and just kill them all. Like that kind of, I think mentality is not really, uh, the right way to deal with the situation.
0: Okay. Well, uh, consider that a correction for our segment. Um, and, uh, in the event that we're able to do so on television, we will, uh, because I think, yeah, I think that's a good, Point. And I think I think that take that we put forward there, which, again, was based on that wasn't our original take that was, you know, uh, uh it was from other experts putting that forward that we were signal boosting. But it's it's glib at the very least. Right. And, and I think what you're giving me an appreciation for is that in nature, there's like almost an infinite amount of detail. You know, when we look at any species or any group of species, like when you get really close, they're they're definitely doing things that you don't understand. And the and the interconnections between them are so nuanced and and you know the the amount that is happening in any square centimeter of earth like the number of species who are interacting there a bunch of which are insects are doing things that we don't even understand and know about because it's like a fractal in terms of the closer you get the more detail there is
1: is that how you see it? yeah yeah totally and i think um yeah completely i think you know especially with kids, one of the things that we should do is bring kids out into nature and really show them this stuff. You know, there's these little things that are happening, uh, they can look at them really up close and it's just fascinating, you know? And and the thing is, if you wanna make a contribution to science, you know, what what you can do is become an entomologist. There's Mm -hmm. infinite things that we can discover. I mean, even in the United States, there's estimates like 80,000 species of insects are undescribed in the United States alone. I mean, that's crazy. Eighty thousand yeah. species. I mean, you just go in your backyard and you'll find new species. That's what we're talking about, and that wow. really is the case. I mean, so so your contribution as as a human being um, to to this world of understanding the world around us, I I think can be, um, you know, everybody can contribute, and and yeah. think kids are you know kids are innately interested in in moving things, and there, there's actually a period of time between about six and twelve years old uh, that uh, kids will you know, are extremely, like the highest interest um, in, in the world, uh, the natural world. And so, you know, in Japan, where, where I'm from, um, we, we try to encourage kids to go outside during that time period because they're going to learn a lot. And even if they don't become entomologists, just having a general understanding of the natural world into whatever profession they, you know, they, they proceed, um, yeah. I think is really important. You know, and to understand that the world is is really complicated, and you know, there's a balance between these different organisms, and there's all this stuff happening, uh, even at the microscopic and fascinating levels.
0: Yeah, that innate that innate fascination. I think of that all the time. You know, I I think of how interested I was in like categorizing dinosaurs, for example. Like kids Mm. love to do that, and this reminds me of how I read uh, that. The creator of Pokemon uh, mm-hmm. was like a bug enthusiast as a kid yeah. and and that maybe had a similar experience to what you were describing. Just I remember that story of oh, catching bugs as a kid and learning about them and categorizing them. And that led him to create Pokemon, a, a, a video game and and you know, transmedia intellectual property series, um, that uh is about catching and collecting and learning uh, about those things and look I love Pokemon I'm not gonna say let's not do Pokemon um, but you know if you've got a kid and you're like oh my kid loves learning about you know oh this one has a fire attack and this was this one has an ice attack well your kid is gonna love would love bugs in exactly the same way like that's tapping into the same thing that kids are naturally good at. Uh, that the, the thing that their brains love to do. And you can just say, Hey, like, let's go, let's go catch some caterpillars and like get a book about them and like learn, learn what they eat and learn what special powers they have.
1: Totally, totally, and I think, um, yeah, and and you know, we talked about a naturalist uh, too, but you could, you know, they can be contributing directly. You know, you can yeah. you can do things like you know, um, contribute to science. You can create an insect collection. You can take pictures. Or you can organize them. I mean, once you start looking at them, you realize how many there are. If you have a little backyard, you know, you, you will attract. You, you'll see lots of different kinds of insects out there, and um, it becomes more and more interesting too because you start to see rare ones, you know, you start to see things that are typically not there, for example. Um, and then you want to know what they are. So you try to find out, you know, about that insect. And And it's just sort of this amazing world that it opens doors in ways that, you know, you, you can't, it's just hard to explain, um, but it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's really, I think, important.
0: Well, so that's a really great thing we can do to help make the next generation more aware of these issues. Uh, what? What steps can we be taking going back to this apocalypse that we're that we're talking about? Uh, what are the changes that we can make uh, in order to slow or reverse it? And do you have hope that we can reverse it?
1: Yeah, I think if if people um, come together and, and we um, we take action, I think, yes, it's it's possible to slow this down or even reverse the, the process. Um, clearly, a lot of this requires um government level changes and things like that in terms of controlling pesticides and those kinds of things will definitely need to happen. But as people, I think we individually can do uh, some basic things where we can um, uh, contribute to to helping the the insect um, decline. And so one thing we can do is if you have, you know, if you have a lawn, you know, we can convert that lawn or at least a little bit of it, to a natural habitat. So I, I encourage people to um, try to convert maybe 10 or 20% of your, your space in your your lawn uh, into um, just a, you know, you just remove the lawn and and just let it grow out, you know, just uh, naturally. Yeah. Uh, and if you can plant native species, um, if you can figure out what the native species are by looking online and, and getting information and planting those species, that's great. But all you have to do is really just Remove a little bit of your lawn because lawns are essentially deserts. They don't help insects at all. Um, and if we just got rid of some of it, uh, it will re- regrow and things will um, start to come in there. And you'll see a lot of amazing uh, different kinds of insects and birds and and everything coming coming back. You're you're
0: blowing my mind because I've always thought of that as being like, oh yeah, it's kind of nice. If you do, native species are nice, and hey, maybe drought resistant too is like you know being in California, use less water. But like you're really talking about, hey, if we look at how much life and biodiversity is going to be in one you know square foot of ground, we're talking about like rewilding our yeah. own lawns, right? And that's like right. turning that's right. turning them back into yeah. like you're replanting the rainforest essentially for that one little square foot, and like there's a ton of life that's going to benefit just from that change. That's like, right. And, and you don't have wilderness. to do anything.
1: It becomes yeah. wilderness, and you don't have to do anything. I mean, it's actually less work than having a lawn. You just and you're contributing to to these um, to these insects and their and their survival and and wildlife in general. And it's really important because you know we we think about conservation. Lots of conservation efforts are focused on protecting large parks and things like that. But we need these stepping stones. These little habitats are necessary for organisms to to disperse. And even your little several square foot of, you know, converted lawn space can function in that way. And if we all contributed a little bit of our lawn to, to something like this, we would essentially be able to, you know, re-naturalize our, our, our environment and it would be, be great for, for this problem.
0: Are there any examples where, you know, insect populations have been brought back from the brink at all or or, you know, where you've seen, hey, here's one story we can
1: look at uh, to take some hope and some success from? Yeah. So there's been some some work in um, Germany now. Uh, kind of pushing forward this this idea of converting lawns and, and bringing back natural uh, population, uh, wildlife, uh, or plants, and and they've already seen some of these changes uh, taking place. So uh, it's still pretty young. Uh, we've just started to do these kinds of um, efforts, uh, but it's very promising. And um, yeah, it's it, it will. I'm convinced that it will work if we all do it and we just need to do it. And I think like there are other things too, like we don't want to be using pesticides in your yards. Um, You know, um, things like like limiting the the light outdoors. Uh, Don't put a bug zapper outside of your house. You know, those bug zappers are not really killing mosquitoes. They're killing all kinds of other insects that are attracted Mm -hmm. to that UV light. You know, and um, even when you wash your car, you know don't really it's better not to wash your car in your driveway where a lot of these um, soaps and things will just go right into the into the um, into the ground um, mm. we 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 should be thinking about you know biodegradable soaps and and different kinds of things like you know even driveway sealants are also problematic too. We know that there's lots of t- toxins and things that go into you know r- into the runoff and and can cause problems so I think just being conscious of these kinds of things in terms of what we can actually do. Um, Will you know? If we all do it together, we can have a big impact, yeah, on the world.
0: So let me just let me just ask you about these lights. Like I have, you know, at my house we put our outside lights on a timer, right? Because it it honestly because the way our street is organized makes the street a little bit feel a little bit safer for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I have this concern now that you know are these lights detrimental to bug health. And I don't know what kind of lights they are. They're whatever came with the house. <laughs> you know, um, they're probably LED lights, right? Uh-huh, like LED uh-huh. lights from Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Um and there's only a couple of them. There's like three of these LED they're not super bright. They're not floodlights. They're just like, you know, uh like little lights along the walkway or something. But should I replace these lights? And if so with what?
1: Yes. I don't mean should. turn this into
0: Adam's home improvement. <laughs>
1: That's okay. Um, I mean, I think, yes, we should definitely um, try to, you know, one thing we could do is put them on timers. Um, You did mention Mm -hmm. that earlier. Um, uh, Using uh, uh, frequencies of light, like towards the infrared. So a little further away from UV. So UV spectra, the the UV range is very um, problematic for insects, different kinds of many, many different insects are attracted to that area of of light. So we want to move away from that. Um, And so generally lower dimmer lights are better um so if we can get led lights that are dimmer that are um if you can if you can use um those that would be much better uh, that are towards the infrared spectrum
0: is that a type Sorry. of light i can buy
1: uh so yes you can buy some of these um uh, lights now uh that for for this purpose what do i what do i look for uh so you want to look at the light spectrum um, mm. the wavelength so the wavelength should be you know um kind of yeah around 700 if you can go closer to 700 nanometers that's that's better got it and uh what do you say to folks who are
0: uh, you probably get this question all the time but i'd like to know how you approach it folks who are like ah bugs are gross i don't like them (laughs) i don't care about this i have trouble relating to them
1: right uh do you have uh do you have anything to say to those folks uh bugs rule the world i mean there's you know i would say that (laughs) There are bugs everywhere, right? There's bugs everywhere you look. And um they're they're really amazing. I mean, when you stop and look at them, they they just they're incredible. You know, like they're they're gonna, you know, just I mean, for example, like fireflies. When we think of fireflies, uh, we we think of the lights in the summertime, they're beautiful. But we, we now know that these fireflies, a lot of them um use their flashes to attract other species. And and mm-hmm. they so so the females. Um, of some species can mimic the flashing lights of other species females to attract males of that other species. And what they do is they call these males of other species that are not related to theirs, and the males think it's their um, a, a mate, right? and so they fly to that female and then the female eats it. <laughs> so so fireflies are um, they're predators, you know they they eat other insects, but they they actually eat a lot of other fireflies and they can switch their light they can actually switch their light between um their 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 light flashing pattern to attract these other uh species that's incredible
0: they're doing like uh they're doing like a false flag uh like mimicry in order to in order to draw their enemies and and destroy them
1: or eat them to eat their food totally totally yeah. Wow. I mean, and another thing, I mean that like, you know, something that we do in, in some of the research that I do with uh, one of my colleagues, Jesse Barber at Boise state university. So we study, you know, um, moth, uh, bat interactions. And so bats are flying around at night, you know, and, and they rely on moths, uh, for food. And what we now know is that moths have these hearing organs over like 80,000 species of moths have hearing organs and lots of other insects also have them and they, they can hear, um, high frequency um, uh, sounds that, that, you know, the, the echolocation calls that these bats are are producing. And the moths have figured out ways to jam the sonar. So they basically uh, can hear the sound of the bat when it's flying around, right? So the bat is coming to attack the moth, and the moth will just send out this really loud noise. And the bat can't, it messes up the radar, so they can't actually figure out where the moth is. And some moths actually are toxic too, Sorry, I, I can go on and on about no, this, no, no, just... <laughs> no! Please go on and on and on. This stuff is amazing. Uh, yes, yeah, so there's some moths that are toxic, um, so they they you know eat some toxic plants as as a caterpillar, and they keep the like, toxins inside their body. And when they um, when they become adults, they use that uh, to to tell their predators like bats. But the thing is. Because it's dark out outside at night, they, they can't use colors like monarch butterflies that are toxic, right? That make you feel milkweed. So instead of using colors, they use sound. So they actually mm. tell their predators, these these bats, that they're chemically defended by making a certain click in the sky. So there's all the sounds that are happening at night and we can't hear it because it's all, uh, we can only hear low frequency sounds. Yeah. But if you have a bat detector at night in your backyard, I mean, it's so loud and it's because these bugs are talking to the predators the bugs are talking to each other etc uh and then you know there's all this kind of interesting mimicry and stuff that's happening where some insects are warning their predators don't eat me because i'm chemically defended and toxic. you're 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 blowing my mind
0: every 30 seconds because i mean yeah that, that kind of makes sense because yeah like in a uh, a in a predator prey relationship where the predator is like looking for the prey, the prey will do things visually, like take active defenses visually. They'll like mimic another, you know, another species or they'll hide or they'll camouflage or, or things like that. Um, or they'll make themselves look scary. Right. They'll like operate right. on the visual dimension. So obviously if bats are navigating using sonar, their prey would respond using sound and right. would like have like sonic defenses. I never thought of that before. These are like sonic defenses that the, that the prey are coming up with, that the yeah, insects that, are coming up with.
1: Right, right. And the sonic, def- I mean, this is just, you know, uh, we really don't know much about this, but, you know, these the, the, one of the moths that or insects that I really like is a, is a hawk moth. And these are big, you know, big moths. And they, they produce um, sounds using their genitalia. So they stridulate their genitalia. I can do
0: that too. <laughs> I can do that too.
1: You, I mean,
0: it's, you, it doesn't sound like what you think, but I can do it. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> just want to toss it in there. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the males of these moths um stridulate their, their genitals really quickly in, in flight. So they're flying, you know, like five meters a second or something, some yeah. real fast speed. But when they hear the sound of a bat coming, they just stridulate their genitals and it just goes crazy. And the bats, um, it essentially jams the sonar of the bats and they can't actually locate the moth. Wow. That is incredibly cool. Do you have, uh, okay.
0: We're, we're we got to wrap up at some point, but I, I got to hear, do you just give me one more? You got one more cool insect, insect story um, like that? Cause so, I, I, someone put you on TV and give you a show about this stuff, because <laughs> this is, this is some of the best, this is some of the best experting I've
1: heard in a while. Uh, give me a little more. Um So, uh, I guess another one is that there's this um, there's a really interesting beetle that was recently discovered uh, from the Amazon and uh, it's called a long it's a longhorn beetle and we have longhorn beetles you know in the United States too but this longhorn beetle is really spectacular because it has a venom glands on the tip of their antennae so they're like essentially scorpions and you can actually get stabbed by this thing uh, but they have two of them and these are they, big right these are big insects right and they have these yeah. these stabbed, um these antennae and they can uh, impale predators, um, using their, their, um, attending.
0: Man. So (laughs) thank you for giving us an appreciation of how amazing these insects are. Uh, and it definitely makes me more concerned that we're, (laughs) that we're losing so many. Um, uh, how do you, how do you approach trying to get people excited about this issue, right? Trying to make this as exciting as honeybees or even as birds to people, do you have hope that we're going to make that change and, and how can folks at home be a part of it to take us home?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I would say um, go outside, like go to the yard, just look in your backyard or look in the, um, the windowsill plants that grow outside and um, start looking carefully and what's there. And every day you'll see change um, of different things coming and going and um, try to understand uh, what's what's out there, show other people, take pictures of them, post them on social media. Um, all these things are, are good things that I think that can contribute to, to this whole process. Um,
0: yeah. Well, Akito, thank you so much for being here. This has been an incredibly fascinating conversation and, uh, I have so much more passion for insects now. I'm sure our listeners do too. And and thank you for sharing it with us.
1: Yeah. Let's save insects. (laughs) Let's do it, man.
0: Well, thank you once again to Akito Kawahara for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, stick with us in 2022. We're going to have a bunch more amazing interviews. we got some big news to announce. Uh, It's all coming together. We're going to have a great 2022 together. So thank you so much for listening this year. And I hope you have a wonderful new year. And we'll see you on the flip side. I want to thank our producers, Sam Radwin and Chelsea Jacobson. Uh, our engineer Ryan Connor, Andrew WK for our theme song. The fine folks at Falcon Northwest for building me the incredible custom gaming PC that I am recording this very episode for you on. Um, and you can find me online at, at @AdamConover or AdamConover.net. And uh, you know, until next year, hey, stay curious, be good to each other. All those good sign-offs. Um, have a happy, healthy. Thank you, folks, so much. <laughs>